I got to go to the Lake Erie Monsters game with Elijah Friday night. I almost got in a fight with an old man. Thankfully, I didn't have to call the elder board and say, hey, look, I was at a Monsters game and I got in a fist fight with this old guy, this grumpy old guy. Uh, I don't know what to do now. Um, yeah, I need bail money. Hey, that old dude probably would have took me too. So it would have just been shame and embarrassment upon shame and embarrassment. So, but we had a good time. We were at Play Cleveland last Saturday. Anybody been to Play Cleveland? It's like rock walls, high ropes course, amazing. It was wonderful. Um, yeah. So pray for that old guy. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> It's, it, there's a story there and a lesson there, and uh, I probably could have handled it better, right? Hey, this is why we need our series right here. Uh, we need to be engaged with the living God so that when we're pressed and when life squeezes us, the stuff of Jesus just oozes out of us naturally, right? And so this is why we're going through the sermon series, because we are looking at how do we, like Jesus, engage in the same habits that kept Jesus primed and ready to do what needed to be done, when it needed to be done, even in the most difficult circumstances, and even when nobody was looking. And so if we're going to live victoriously the way that Jesus lived, um, we need to engage in his same habits. We need to learn to engage God through prayer. We need to learn to engage God through the word. We need to learn to engage God through community, Christian community, and we need to learn to engage God through experience. And so that's what we're focused on in this sermon series. So far, we've really focused on engaging God through prayer, and this will be the third kind of parts in the focus on prayer. And what we've discovered so far as we've looked at engaging God through prayer is that we, we looked at when should we pray. And what we found out from looking at Jesus's life is that we are to pray, and I, I was actually talking about this with our boys yesterday morning. We are to have dedicated times of prayer where we can be alone with God, concentrated, that's all we're focused on. And then we need to have this running conversation uh, with the Lord as we go through our day. So when should we pray? We can pray at all times of the day, afternoon, morning, night. And we should, when should we pray? As we go throughout our days. We need both types of prayers. Also, we looked at where should we have these constant, when we have concentrated times of prayer, where should we have concentrated times of prayer? And the answer is, uh, you can go anywhere that you can be alone and undistracted with the Lord. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, his favorite place to pray was outside in desolate places, whether it was the wilderness, whether it was a mountainside, whether it was the desert, that's where Jesus prayed. We also look, considered how are we to pray? Like, 
what, how should we position our body when we pray? And again, we looked at Jesus' life and found that he prayed kneeling down. He fell on his face and prayed. He prayed looking up to the heavens. So we have this freedom in terms of how we position our bodies when we pray. This morning, what I want to do is I want to turn our attention to what should we pray? So when we actually, especially with those, well, even, even those, those arrow prayers as we go throughout our day, but especially when we, we set aside time for concentrated prayer, what should be the content of our prayers? And so that's where we're headed this morning um, before we ask God to guide us and to teach us. I do want to thank uh, Blaine. I don't know where he's at now. He's probably downstairs, but I really appreciate him preaching Last Sunday, I find that Blaine's uh, energy and passion for Jesus and for other people is contagious, and I love being around it. It spurs me on, and we are so blessed that God has brought him back into the mix here at Abundant Life. So, Faith, you need to tell him that, or he'll need to listen to this message and hear that. I'll quiz him when we meet this Thursday. Did you listen to my message, Blaine? Um, let me pray. Here we go. Lord, we are so grateful that you are with us and you are our teacher and that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us understand and make sense of what we read in the scriptures. Lord, thank you that you not only instruct us and teach us through the words found in the gospels, but you also give us a life uh, that, that modeled what you preached. And Lord, we pray that we could learn from you this morning so that we more effectively and deeply and genuinely engage you through prayer. So the result is that as we engage you through prayer, we more fully live out of the kingdom, all of its power, its ways, its values. And so when life presses on us, in on us, your ways and values just ooze out of us. That is our prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in order to know what should be the content of our prayers, it makes sense that we look at the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, right? Uh, what did he pray for? What was the content of his prayers? Well, if you were to look at all of his prayers in the Gospels, here, here are the things that he prayed for. He prayed that the Father would be glorified, that people would know him in the Father, that he would once again have the intimacy with the Father that he had before the foundation of the world, that his followers would glorify him, that the Father would protect the church, that the Father would keep the church unified, that his disciples would be in the world, but not of the world. That his disciples would be sanctified. In, in other words, that the disciples' behavior would be set apart from the rest of the world. Right? That his disciples would receive his glory. That his disciples would be with them. Jesus prayed for his enemies, for deliverance. That, God, that God's will would be done. That's, those are all the things that Jesus prayed for if you looked at his prayers found in the Gospels. Perhaps the best way to sum up the content of Jesus' prayers is to look at 
what we call the Lord's Prayer. Because everything that Jesus prayed for, those very themes that we find in his prayer life, those themes are found in the Lord's Prayer. And this is not surprising. I mean, Jesus, being the awesome leader that he was, didn't ask his followers to go where he had not already gone first, right? He never asked us to do things that he hasn't already done himself. And with prayer, it's no difference, right? So let's check out what Jesus said to his disciples when his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. We want to pray like you, Jesus. This is what Jesus said to them. Um, Caleb, I took a drink out of your water. So if you're a germaphobe like me, this is, and I took a big chug out of it. So that's your water. I don't know whose water I just drank, but I drank somebody's water, just so you know. I'm not sick, so whoever water this is, if you want to keep drinking it, it should be all right. No guarantees. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The first thing I want to point out here is that Jesus said to pray in this manner. So Jesus didn't say, pray these exact words every single time you pray. And so I think what Jesus was giving us was a framework for prayer. And I really see six categories of emphasis in this prayer. Some people have said there's five. I really see six. And here are the categories. The Father's character, the Father's honor, the Father's kingdom, the Father's provision, the Father's guidance, and the Father's protection. If you were to study Jesus' prayers, you will find that everything he prayed fit into these six categories. And so we would do well to include these very categories into our prayers. First, let's consider the Father's character. And I'm going to spend the most time on this one because to me, uh, well, our Father in heaven. I'm going to spend the most time on those words because to me, it is the most critical aspect of the Lord's prayer. And if you get those words in the meaning behind them, then the rest of the prayer makes sense and will come, I feel, naturally. So let's consider the Father's character. Our Father, Jesus starts the prayer with, When Jesus prayed, he approached God as a child approaches a father. That's how he approached the Lord. And it was with this warmth, this deep affection, with an intimacy, with a, that's my dad, and with an informal, 
way that Jesus approached the Father that you need to know was utterly revolutionary in Jesus's day. And in my opinion, this is what no doubt resonated with Jesus's disciples and what was behind his disciples asking Jesus, teach us to pray. Because let's not forget, these were God-fearing Jewish men who probably had prayed morning, day, and night for their entire life since as early as they could remember. And so why are they asking Jesus, teach us how to pray? It's because Jesus had this child-father intimacy with God that they had never seen before. In fact, the way that Jesus related to God as Father was so revolutionary that um, Kent Hughes, a Bible scholar, uh, he, he speaks to how revolutionary, revolutionary this was. He says this, God is only referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament's 39 books, and even then rather impersonally. In those 14 occurrences of father, the term was always used with reference to the nation of Israel, not to individuals. God was viewed as as the corporate father of Israel, not as the personal father to individual Israelites. He states that you can search from Genesis to Malachi and you will not find one individual speaking of God as father. Isn't that remarkable? And Jesus doesn't just address God as Father a few times. Every single time he addresses God, he addresses him with the title Father. Except for one time when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then immediately after that, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He went back to Father. This is how Jesus knew God as Father. And He wants us to approach Him in the same way. If we are going to have a vibrant prayer life, our view must be of God. We must see Him as our Father. Why is this so critical? And why was Jesus so. Um, passionate about his disciples understanding this. Well, let me tell you this. Understanding our father-child relationship is what gives us, you know, with God is what gives us the motivation and the courage we need to pray. Look, if I know in my heart of hearts that God is so crazy about me, he loves me so tremendously, he cares about me in such a great way that even earthly fathers, even the best of them are just a dim shadow of the way that he loves me as a father, do you think I am going to be motivated to come to him, to bring my needs to him, trusting and expecting that, of course, he wants to hear about it and he cares about my needs? Yes. It gives me courage and motivation, right? Real motivation. Also, it gives me courage because if I know that God is a good, loving father, if I come to him and maybe I don't pray in the best ways or I don't approach him in the in the right way, is God going to like electrocute me? No, he is a good father. He will gently redirect me to the right attitude in, in, in the right heart to pray with. 
This is precisely the point that Jesus makes. If we were to turn a chapter over to Matthew 7, this is the point that Jesus is making to his disciples. Look, your God is an extremely loving father to you disciples. And so you should ask and you should seek and you should knock on the door of God through prayer because he is good and he uh, loves to give the best gifts to you. What motivation, what courage we have to pray. And then for us, I mean, Jesus' disciples, when they were receiving this teaching, didn't have this benefit, but we do. We live on this side of the resurrection, right? And so we can look back that, oh my goodness, God wasn't even willing to spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not freely give us all things? What motivation we have to pray. Now, uh, theologian J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, a book that was recommended to me by my father-in-law, I think it was back in 2003, I asked him, what's one of the most... uh, What's one of those books that has influenced you the most in your life outside of the Bible, right? Because I love to read. And he he mentioned this book. And so, of course, I got it and I read it. Fantastic book. Um, This is what J.I. Packer says in his book about us understanding that we have a father in heaven and relating to him as a child relates to a father. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God Father is the Christian name for God. What's your view of God? Do you see him as this dad, this Abba, that is so, so crazy about you in the best ways? Do you view God as this God who delights in meeting your needs? That he doesn't begrudgingly, I guess I should do it because it's the right thing. No, it's, it's for the joy set before him, he endured the cross to meet our deepest need. Surely he takes joy meeting all our lesser needs. But here's the thing. We find even more courage and motivation to pray as we continue on in the Lord's Prayer. The next two words are amazing. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Jesus didn't want his disciples to forget that this God who knows us so intimately calls his sheep by name is the great Alpha Omega, the Lord Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. 
the great I am that we just sang about. And this is such a wonderful thing for us to keep in mind. That our Father is in heaven, meaning he is separate from all his created things. He's not dependent on it. And he reigns above all from heaven. He has no rival. He has no equal. He is the one that Ephesians 1.21 tells us is far above all principality and power and might and dominion. In every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Isaiah 40, 25 through 31 says this, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up to the heavens. Who created the, the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. That's a tremendous thought. I don't, I've never thought about that. God calls every star by name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say, oh, Sarah, oh, Shane, oh, Kelly, oh, Brenda, oh, Jim, oh, Josh, how can you say, the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even use will become Weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will, not, they will walk and not faint. And so when we pray, we have to pray remembering, yes, God is our extremely loving Father, but he is also the Father, our Father in heaven. This is critical. And to me, this gives us even more motivation and courage to pray. Because when we remember that God is both our Father and yet the undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight, sovereign champion champion of the universe, this was precisely the point that Isaiah was making in the passage I read, is that he's both Father and the Lord Almighty, Guess what? He is not a God that cares about us, but yet doesn't have the power to do anything about it. And he is not a God that has all the power in the world, but could care less about us. When you hold both his sovereign power and his fatherly care of us together, oh my goodness, I have motivation and courage to pray because I am praying to a God who cares and has immeasurably more power than I can even think or imagine, which leads him to do immeasurably more than all I can ask or think or imagine. Do we not have reason to pray? And here's the thing. You get those two things straight, and the rest of this prayer makes sense. Let's, let's just, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm just going to mention two more aspects, two more themes 
here in the Lord's Prayer. But before I do that, this is what I wrote here. What shall we say to the fact that God is both our Father in the sovereign, most powerful being in the world? Same thing that Paul said. I think it will suffice. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? Who or what can be against us? I'd also add, what can separate us from, a, from his love then? Nothing. He won't allow it. In his power, he will not allow it. All right. Next thing we go to in the Lord's Prayer is the Father's honor. And so if we really see God in the ways that I just described him, if we really see his character as Father and sovereign being over the universe, we're going to want this next aspect of the prayer. We're going to want his name to be hallowed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does it mean for a name to be hallowed? Well, it means that you are concerned about the person getting the honor and reverence that they are due. That's what it means for a name to be hallowed. This is what Jesus had in view. When we pray that the Father would be hallowed, his name would be hallowed, we are praying that he would receive the honor and the glory in the reverence that he is due. How much honor and glory is God the Father due? Amen. Look, based on what we've already covered about his character, and we need, I mean, that, that's just two really important aspects of his character. Based on you know, that alone, we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 145.3 that Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. God is worthy of the highest honor and praise. And so this is what we should pray regularly, is that in our hearts he would be hallowed. What does that mean? That we would view him and think of him as our supreme treasure. And we should also pray that God's worth and value would be displayed in our lives and how we live and how we treat people and how we love. And we should also pray that those around us would come to hollow the name of our great God, that they would come to view him as their supreme treasure and as supremely worthy, right? That they would view Jesus' name as the name above all names. I, like you, this week was shocked to hear of Kobe Bryant's death, right? Um, just a, Obviously, it's just horrible, and it's horrible for the other lives that were lost and spent a lot of time thinking about it. I don't know. It really impacted me, um, And one of the things I appreciate is that Kobe Bryant's name was being hallowed, wasn't it? Uh, Throughout the week, there were people from all over the world, inside of sports and outside of sports, that were singing Kobe Bryant's praises, right? And one of the things that they really highlight is praising him and honoring him for his work ethic, which was largely unmatched, Um, And I thought, man, that's cool that they're doing that. I'm so happy, and I'm happy that, uh, well, I'm praying that God would allow 
his name being hallowed to help his wife and the rest of his kids, his surviving kids, heal and recover as they hear these things about their husband and their dad. And, but I, I couldn't help also, but I couldn't help but think also that as wonderful as that is, why are at least Jesus and how wonderful he is and how wonderful the God the Father is and God the Spirit is, what if, what if their praises were on our lips just as readily as people were this past week in regards to Kobe Bryant? What if like that just was natural for us in our conversation? It just flowed out of us because we're seeing God as the great father and great power that he is. And so we just naturally sing his praises without effort. They're just readily on our lips. May we be that type, maybe we be those kind of people here at Abundant Life. Last thing I I just want to cover briefly here is the Father's kingdom, right? And so, again, if I see God as this amazing Father and this sovereign, and, and my sovereign creator, right? Like, I not only want his name to be hallowed, but I want the Father's kingdom to come. Why wouldn't I? If he is everything we say that he is, then of course, I want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus instructed his disciples to pray for the Father's kingdom to come, Jesus wasn't saying that the Father's kingdom didn't exist. No, God's kingdom has always existed and it expands the entire universe. This is not what Jesus was instructing his disciples uh, to, to pray for. I mean, Psalm 24 uh, says, The earth is the Lord in its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. It's all his, it's all his kingdom. This is what Jesus was asking his disciples to pray for when he said to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was teaching them to pray that there would be a unique manifestation of God's power into the world. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. So that things and people in all places everywhere would be then brought into conformity to his will. So that what God wants done would be done in the world. And this is the only logical, reasonable prayer to pray. Again, because of who God is, why would we not pray this? And it's utterly foolish to pray, my will be done, my way, my time. When you compare who we are with who God is, that is the most illogical, unreasonable kind of prayer to pray, and yet we do it all the time, uh, mostly subconsciously. I, I don't know how often it is just overtly. It's more operating covert in our hearts. But do you see how illogical that is? How foolish. The reality is, in our world, there are a lot of things that are not brought into conformity with God's will. And it hurts your mind to think that he's sovereign over all, and yet he allows people to rebel against his sovereignty. 
And so when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, it's like, bring, bring it all. Bring it all according to, into um, your, bring it all together so it's working for your glory. And so when we pray this, we are praying, Lord, like, have your way in my marriage. Have your way in my school. Have your way in my place of employment. May your kingdom come in our educational system. May your kingdom come in our political system, which is, yeah, it is just, I mean, it's so sad. So sad. May God, may your kingdom bring it in conformity to your will, where there's forgiveness and reconciliation and people handling anger appropriately. Remember all the things that I taught about in regards to what the kingdom is. Make that happen in our government. Make that help happen in our healthcare system. Make that, make your will come. Lord, be Lord over my finances. Be Lord over my hobbies. Be Lord over my passions. This is what it means to pray, your will be done. And we want his will to be done because in his kingdom, under his rule, the downcasts are raised up, aren't they? The broken are put back together. The old is made new. The chains are broken. Opposing forces are reconciled. The hopeless find hope. The homeless find a home. The lonely find a family. The shame find worth. Evil meets justice. And repentance meets grace. That's why we want his kingdom to come. May it come in all its fullness. May it make all things new. May God reconcile all things to himself. May every knee bow before the great almighty and every tongue confess that he is Lord. May he use us to that end. And so let me end with this. How does this work practically? How do we use the Lord's prayer to pray? Practically speaking, the Kobe Bryant situation, let's use that. And I'm thinking off the cuff here, um, which can be a dangerous thing. And normally I don't because of that reason. But let's go. Let's try it. So I'm just thinking about that situa- situation. And if I were to pray for that and I was going to use the framework of the Lord's Prayer, the first thing I'm going to start with is, Lord, you're my good father. You love me. I can come and draw near to you because you have drawn near to me. Uh, with your son, through your son, through the spirit. Praise you that you're my father and you care about me and you want to hear my heart, right? Like I just start talking and riffing on that aspect of the Lord's prayer. And then I might move into, and Lord, you are the almighty. You hung the stars in the sky. Praise you that you have each one of them named that I just realized while preaching this morning. How amazing are you, Lord? And Lord, my heart is broken over what happened this past Sunday. Lord, when I think of the lives that have been impacted, when I think of the family members that are going to have to go without a loved one, it just breaks my heart. And Lord, because I know you're a good, loving father, your heart is broken over what has happened. Lord, when you created the world, this was not your intent. 
Sin has come into the picture, and it has had devastating effects. But Lord, I know that your kingdom is here, and it is coming in its fullness, and it is spreading throughout the world. And so, Lord, I pray for the Bryant family and all those families impacted that your kingdom would come into their lives because your kingdom is a kingdom of healing And Lord, I pray for those Christians that are in the inner circles of the people that have been affected. Lord, I pray that they would move with your kingdom power into their lives and surround them with love and service and sacrifice. And Lord, I pray for somebody like Rob Palinka, who, best friend of Kobe Bryant, agent of sports people, then he has a job. I think he still has a job with the Lakers or something. I w- he's a Christian. This was Kobe's best friend. I just watched a video of him and his wife about their life group at church and how it's a place where we can be real and honest and where we can experience freedom in Christ as we re- relate in community. Lord, I pray for his faith. I pray that it would be unshakable during this time. And I pray that you would give him great influence into the lives of others so that the result of this is that your name would be hallowed. Like, see, we just do it. Let's just pray. We pray and we think of the framework of the Lord's prayer. That's how you pray. The Lord has taught us to pray. You can use the Lord's Prayer for any situation you find yourself in. You can use the Lord's Prayer for any person that you're concerned about. Take them through it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have taught us how to pray. May we be people that just not only have a prayer life, but that we live a life of prayer that it's just what we do and we grow deeper in it and we experience you more fully through it. And the result is you transform, you transform us as we do engage you through prayer so that we are more able to live the way that you live, Jesus. I pray that these people in this room, that this week they would seek you in prayer. I pray that they would use the Lord's Prayer, especially these first beginning parts, as a framework for their prayers this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.